0: Chapter 17 of The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter 17. Victory over the Cheyennes. Treachery of the Snake Indians. Loss of six Crow Warriors. Victory over the Snakes and Utahs. A Mountaineer killed. Trouble in the Wigwam, I am disgraced. Great sacrifice of my father's property. Three whippings for violating Crow morals. Great battle with the Recarus. Four days after our return, our chief, still smarting at the sacrifice he had made for the salvation of his people, burned for revenge. He selected a body of over 200 warriors and started forthwith in search of the enemy. The night following his departure, I also raised 200 men and started in a contrary direction. We proceeded on until we came to Laramie Forks, where Fort Laramie had since been built and were in sight of a Cheyenne village. While we were surveying the village, eleven of their men, laden with meat, came up and encamped within a few hundred yards of where we were. We immediately threw ourselves flat upon the ground, resolved to wait until the coming of night in order to make secure work of our attack on them and prevent any of their number escaping to alarm the village. At a late hour we silently approached their camp when they were all sound asleep. A dozen guns were discharged at them in a moment and we rushed in with our battle axes to complete the work. We took their scalps and were soon on the retreat bearing away all the meat we needed besides 19 horses and the slain warriors' equipments. We returned to the village and washed off the morning fake, making the whole village ring with our dancing and rejoicing. The additional name of ar ra the bloody arm, was conferred upon me. The old chief came in three days subsequently, bringing fourteen scalps and equipments, without having lost a single man. Many of my readers will doubtless wonder how a man who had been reared in civilized life could ever participate in such scenes of carnage and rapine. I have already related that I was brought up where similar outrages were committed upon the defenseless inhabitants of the new settlements. Impressed with the recollection of these early scenes, I hardly ever struck down an Indian, but my mind reverted to the mangled bodies of my childish playfellows which I discovered on my way to the mill, barbarously murdered by the savages. In after years I have experienced the natural ferocity of the savage, who thirsts for the blood of the white man for no other purpose than to gratify the vindictive spirit that animates him. I have seen the paths of the trappers dyed with their blood, drawn from their hearts by the ambushed savage, who never knew mercy but remorselessly butchered all who came in his way. Such is Indian nature. When I fought with the Crow nation, I fought in their behalf against the most relentless enemy of the white man. If I chose to become an Indian while living among them, it concerned no person but myself, and by doing so I saved more life and property for the white man than a whole regiment of the United States regulars could have done in the same time. Before I close this narrative, I shall take the liberty to express my opinions and afford those having control of the War Department some counsel about the cheapest, most expeditious, and most certain method of quelling these Indian troubles on which the newspapers are harping so much. I know that with 500 men of my selection, I could exterminate any Indian tribe in North America in a few months. But so long as our government continues to enlist the off-scouring of European cities into our army and entrust the command to inexperienced officers fresh from West Point, just so long will they afford food for the Indians in and about the Rocky Mountains. Encumbered as our army is with baggage wagons and artillery, An Indian chief can move his whole community farther in one day, than our soldiers can follow them in three. When our victorious celebration was over, I started on a small trading expedition to the Snake Indians. I had received an invitation from their chief to trade among them, and I selected eight warriors to accompany me. On arriving at their village, I found that the Utahs had joined them, and a great number of them were thronging the village, knowing that the Utahs and Crows were deadly enemies. I sedulously watched their movements and very speedily felt distrust for the safety of myself and party, as the whole camp savored strongly of treachery. I mustered my little party around me and found them without guns. On inquiring the cause, they informed me that they had traded with them away for horses. I suppose my looks expressed my disapprobation. Mistaking me, they said there was yet one fine horse left, which I could have at the price of my gun. I had finished my traffic and had disposed of everything except my gun. When the snakes came to me and offered to trade for that, I said no. I never sell my gun except when at home and among my own people. The snakes then told us to go, that things were bad in their camp. We sprang upon our horses and struck out at full speed, but we soon discovered a large party of Indians were in close pursuit. We then found they had not sold us their fastest horses, as they gained on some of my party and shot and scalped them without our ability to defend them. I succeeded in reaching the mountain with two of my men, having lost six noble young warriors in my flight. I knew there would be terrible mourning and loss of fingers until I could teach the snakes a lesson which would serve them to remember for a long time. After devoting a short space to bewailing my misfortune, I requested a council to be called, and never did I enlarge with such wrathful vehemence as I then fulminated against the snakes, holding them up to the abhorrence of the fathers for their treachery in decoying our unsuspecting warriors into their camp and then letting loose a pack of murderous savages at our heels, after we had, through their complicity, parted with our only means of defense. I demanded 500 warriors to go and wipe out the stain and inflict summary chastisement on the village for their duplicity. My argument was listened to with the profoundest attention, and all I proposed was readily acceded to. Let the red arm have all that he asked, was the anonymous voice of the assembly. My warriors rallied around me almost at a moment's notice. and mounted our horses and sped in the direction of the snake country on Green River. On the eighth day, our scouts came in and reported they found a large number of snakes, scattered in small parties, were engaged in killing buffalo. We held on until we came in sight of them. I distributed my warriors, as the occasion suggested, ordering them to attack the various small camps, while I, with my party, should attack their main body. They were overthrown and dispersed by my brave warriors with severe loss. We took over 100 scalps and a great quantity of guns, and other warlike implements. We had 16 men wounded, including myself. I received two slight wounds from arrows, but none of them dangerously. This blow brought the snakes to their senses, and they immediately sent a deputation to our village to sue for peace. A circumstance happened on the evening preceding our attack, which caused me the deepest regret. While the spies were reconnoitering, they perceived two Indians, as they supposed, leave the enemy's camp and proceed down the canyon. This circumstance they reported to me. I ordered them to return and kill him if they could find them. They went in pursuit of the two stragglers and when they came in sight of them to return and kill them if they could find them. They went in pursuit of the two stragglers and when they came in sight of them they had their robes over their heads and were kneeling down over a fire they fired and one of the two men mortally and one of the two fell mortally wounded the other sprang out of his robe where to their surprise they saw he was a white man they however took him prisoner and brought him to my camp i was absent at their return but on the following morning i remarked a very dejected look on their countenances, and I asked them what was the matter. We have done very bad, said one. We have reddened our hands with the blood of a white man. Well, how did it occur? I inquired. Ask that white man, and he will tell you all. I walked up to the unhappy prisoner, whose looks betrayed the keenest anguish, and addressed him in English. How are you, my friend? He started as if electrified, and looked me closely in the face. "'What brought you here?' I continue. "'I was brought here by these Indians who killed my companion "'while we were building a fire to warm ourselves. "'I suppose I am brought here to be killed also.' "'No, my friend,' I said, "'you are safe. "'The crows never kill a white man.' "'Are these crows?' "'Yes.' "'Well, well, then you must be Mr. Beckworth.' "'Yes, that is my name, and now, without the least fear of danger,' relate the occurrence fairly my warriors have killed the white man intentionally they shall be punished he then related how he and his companion went into the canyon how they made a fire to render themselves comfortable away from the indian camp how that their robes were over the head entirely concealing their faces from view and that he felt fully confident that my warriors in firing upon them, had mistaken them for For Indians. Well, I said, since the mistake is so apparent, you will greatly serve me to make the same statement to your companions when you return to your camp, for the crows are entirely innocent of any design to shed the blood of the white man, and it would be deplorable for any misunderstanding to arise in consequence of this lamentable occurrence. I shall make a fair statement of the fact, he said, and shall be very sorry to be the means of any trouble. He then informed me that he and his light companion were trappers, that his party were in winter quarters and encamped with the main body of the snakes, and that they had come out with this party after meat. I then gave him my reasons for attacking the snakes and begged him to commend me to all the old mountaineers. There is not a day passes, he said, but someone mentions you to wonder where you are and what you are now doing. I can tell them all that I've seen you and converse with you. I then told him he was at liberty to go at any time, that he could take all the horses belonging to him and all else he needed. We assisted him with the body of his unhappy friend upon the back of a horse, and bidding me adieu, he departed the snakes dispatched a deputation of forty warriors and a medicine chief to the crows to negotiate peace they attached all the blame of the late rupture to the utahs whom they said they could not control and that the death of our six warriors was entirely against their wish this we knew was false for there were ten snakes to one utah in the camp at the time of the outrage they also pleaded that they had tried for a long time induce the Utahs to return home, knowing they were enemies to the crows. We, at length, adjusted the conditions of peace, smoked the Calumet, and after an exchange of presents, they returned to their home. About this time, a brave named Big Rain was elected chief of the village for a term of six moons. His duties were to superintend all the village removals, to select sites for camps, order surrounds, In short, he was kind of a mayor, and alone subject to the head chief Big Rain, and alone subject to the head chief Big Rain possessed the most beautiful squaw in the whole village. She was the admiration of every young brave, and all were plotting, myself among the rest, to win her away from her proud lord. I had spoken to her on several occasions and whenever opportunity offered would tender her my most ceremonious obeisance, but she never favoured me with any return. Not only was she beautiful, but she was very intelligent and as proud as Lucifer, and the gorgeous dyes of the peacock were not more variegated or more showy than her attire. Since the elevation of her husband, I fancied that he I fancy that she assumed rather haughtier airs, and I determined to steal her from the Lord, be the consequences what they might. I went one evening to a brother's lodge, and acquainted him that there was a woman in our village that I loved, and that I must have her at all hazards. Well, warrior, said he, if it is any of my relatives, I will assist you all in my power. You are a great brave, and have gained many victories for us and it is right that your desires should be gratified. Thank you, said I, but I will try alone first, and if I do not succeed, then I shall be very glad of your assistance. As an acknowledgment for the prompt tender of his services, I presented him with a quantity of tobacco. Now, added I, I want you to call in all your neighbors tonight, and let them smoke as long as they please. After they are assembled, bar the door of your lodge, and amuse them as long as you can with the rehearsal of your adventure. In the meantime, I will be engaged. I then went to my bosom friend and brother and made part of him of what I had in hand, which revelation greatly amused him. I requested him to act as sentry over the lodge when they were all smoking. Big rain with the rest, for I had seen him enter and remain there until he was satisfied they had filled their pipes for the last time and then to call out to me, but to mislead them in the place where he was addressing me. This he promised to perform, and we both started on our errands. I went to Big Rain's Lodge, dressed and painted in the extreme of the fashion, and saw the lady reclining half asleep upon her couch. Several of her female relatives asleep about the room. Nothing daunted, I strode to the couch of Mrs. Big Rain and laid my hand gently on her brow. She started up saying, who is there? Hush, I replied, it is I. What do you want here? I have come to see you because I love you. Don't you know that I am the chief's wife? Yes, I know it, but he does not love you as I do. He never goes to war, but stays idly in the village. I am a great brave, always go to war. I can paint your face and bring you fine horses. but so long but so long as you are the wife of Big Rain, he will never paint he will never paint your face with new coos. My husband will kill you well. then the crows will talk of you for many winters and say that the great brave, the bloody arm, died for a pretty woman. Your father, she said, will lose all his horses and all his other property and will become poor in his old age. I respect your father and all your relatives, and my heart would cry to see them poor. If my father loses his horses, I can steal more from our enemies. He would be proud to lose his horses if his son could get a wife as handsome as you are. You can go to war with me and carry my shield." With you by my side, I can kill a great many enemies and bring home many scalps. Then we could often dance, and our hearts would be made merry and glad. Go now, she pleaded, for if my husband should return and find you here, he would be very angry, and I fear he would kill you. Go, go, for your sake and for mine, and for the love you have for the crows. Go." No, said I, I will not go until you give me a pledge that you will be mine when an opportunity offers for me to take you away. She hesitated for a moment, then slipped a ring off her finger and placed it on mine. All I now had to do was to watch for a favorable chance to take her away with me on some of my excursions. Just as I was about to leave, my friend called me as though I had been three miles away i went out and joined them what luck inquired he good said i prove it to me i will believe and said my friend and i held out my finger to him displaying the ring enough said he but i could not otherwise have believed it the following day with six warriors in full custom i visited big rain at his lodge ah said he you are going on a war excursion my friend no i answered we came to see which way you are going to move, how many days you will travel, and how far each day so that we may find good places to encamp, and know where to find the village in case we should encounter the enemy. You are very kind, said he, Then you intend to be my spy. I have many brothers and other relatives among the braids, but not one has ever made me that offer. No, thought I they don't care as much about your wife as i do go said he and the great spirit will protect you i then left accompanied by my six warriors second day out in the afternoon as we were traveling slowly along i discovered at about a mile distance a party of 27 blackfoot warriors just emerging from the bad pass we immediately retraced our steps towards home and traveled all night until we arrived within three miles of the village. When within sight, we telegraphed with the aid of a small looking glass, which the crow scouts usually carry, and every motion of which is understood in the village. I made a signal that I had discovered the enemy, and a second that they were approaching. In a moment, I could discover a great stir in the village. When we arrived, I reported to his honor, Big Rain, how many we had seen, what tribe they were, where they had passed the previous night, where they could be found. The chief then ordered his madam to bring us some water, an order she complied with, smiling coquettishly at me the while. I then retired to my lodge to change my dress, as portions of it were stained with our travel through the mountains. When I was in, my lodge, madam came over with a splendid war horse, which her husband had sent me, on which to return and fight the Blackfeet I had just discovered. She said, My husband had sent this war horse to the bloody arm and request him to lead the crows to the enemy. I was soon on the road with enough mounted warriors to eat the whole party of the enemy for they were only a short distance from our village, and desirous of excitement, everyone wished to go. Judging where the enemy would camp that night, we traveled on until we arrived near the anticipated encampment. Previous to starting, my little wife, who, by being the wife of a great brave, was as good as any woman, wished to bear me company and carry my seal. But I refused her, alleging that the danger was too great. And promising to paint her face when i returned one of my sisters then volunteered and i accepted her offer taking her with me to carry my shield and lead my war-horse as soon as it was light enough in the morning i sent out small parties in all directions to look for their trail that we might track them to their den in ten or fifteen minutes after the parties left we heard the report of guns and the war whoop raised. The crows assembled in the direction of the report, all drawing towards the center. When I arrived, I saw that the Blackfeet had chosen a strong position, and that we had another fort to storm. It was built partly by nature, but human industry had improved the stronghold. It was low water, and there was a pile of drift on the naked standbar, and trees had been felled from the bank upon the drift file, forming quite a shelter. Over this position the enemy was placed, protected with a breastwork formed of timber taken from the drift. When I reached the ground I saw two of our reckless braves talking carelessly under the enemy in this enclosed place as if they had been in a secure lodge. I regarded them for a moment, and thinking to display as much bravery as they had, I dismounted and ran to the place. Although several shots were fired at me from the fort, none of which took effect. What are you here for? inquired one of them of me. In the first place, I said, tell me what you are here for. Why, we are old warriors, and you are not. If I am not an old warrior, I answered, I will be one. I then regarded the rough flooring over the head which separated us from our foes and perceived an aperture hardly large enough to admit my fist. I stood under it a moment, and as the warrior were moving about, one of them stepped over the aperture and remained there. I thrust my lance up with my whole force and drew it back, reeking with blood. There, old warriors, said I to my two companions. Who has drawn the first blood now? Who struck them first, old warriors or a young brave? How do you like the look of my lance? Do you see it? Yes, yes, we see it. You have done well, young brave. Well, said I, you can stay here out of danger, but I am going out to my warriors and then to storm the fort. I ran back with the same success that I had entered it, brandishing my dripping lance and ordering a charge, which was obeyed as soon as given. In five minutes, there was not a black foot left within. Within, They had made scarcely any defense, so sudden and overwhelming was the shock. We had one warrior killed by the first discharge of the enemy and six wounded. We then returned home, and notwithstanding our slain warrior, we celebrated a dance and devoted the next day to warning our loss. In robing his remains for the spirit land, we dressed him in the most costly manner, using trinkets, seam-embroidered cloth, and the most costly articles to show the inhabitant of the spirit land that he was a great brave and much respected on earth. Overall was wrapped the best of scarlet blankets, and his arms were enfolded therein. Oh, shroud him in his hunting shirt, and lay him in the glen away away from jealous foes away from sight of men with bow and panted arrow that never failed to aim when by his fleet and favorite steed the bounding bison came go kill the warrior's favorite horse his crouching lonely hound to shield so brave a warrior in the happy hunting ground While the villagers were crying and putting on a coat of mourning paint for the departed warrior, I was busied in my domestic affairs. I sent my sister to Madame with a large quantity of service berries, which had been finely dried the preceding summer, together with some sweet potatoes, telling her to request Madame to send me her extra moccasins in order to lash them together with my own on my pack dog, and to appoint a place to meet me that evening. My sister was astonished and said, Is it possible that you intend to take the Bar Red Cherry, with you? Why? We shall all become poor. We shall not have a horse to ride. But I don't care. She is a pretty woman and will make good robe dresser. Away she hied and soon returned with my lady's moccasins. Ah, ah, thought I. I am all right now. I expected that the course of true love would not run very smooth with me in the end, but would, on the contrary, carry me over the breakers, which would most probably break my neck. But I fortified myself with the old adage, faint heart never won, fair lady, and I determined to hazard all consequences. The appointed time has arrived, and on going to the place of assassination, I found my lady true to a word. In fact, she was there first, we joined the party, thirty-four in number, and travelled all night in the direction of the Blackfoot country. On the sixth day, nightfall, we arrived at Musselshell River, a little below the mouth of the Judith, and in sight of a village of the enemy. I looked out a good place for a reserve camp, and then selecting eighteen of the most expert horse thieves. We started for the village. We succeeded in capturing 117 horses without being discovered and arrived safe with them at camp. We all started immediately back for the village. The warriors took but two horses each, giving the rest to me and my new wife. Meanwhile, Big Rain made discovery of the loss of his wife and was greatly disturbed in mind. My father, knowing the aggressor, commenced giving away to his near relatives all his choicest stock and other valuable property until the storm should blow over. When we rode in, the people came out to meet us, rejoicing at our success. Big Rain was out likewise. He took no part in the rejoicing, however, but ordered his wife and me to be surrounded. I was seized by Big Rain, together with a half a dozen of his sisters, all armed with scourges, and they administered a most unmerciful whipping. I lay down to it and received it with true indian fortitude though i certainly did think they would beat me to death if i had resisted they would have been justified in killing me also if they had drawn one drop of blood from me i should have been justified in taking their lives they laid it on so unmercifully that i became angry and hoped that they would draw blood after the flagellation was performed the next penalty was to strip my father and myself of all our horses and other effects. Our war implements excepted. My father was stripped of five hundred horses. I lost about eighty. Pretty dear for a pretty woman. Pretty dear for a very pretty woman, thought I. However, I soon had my horses made up to me by presents from my friends. We performed the horse dance that night though I danced without owning one. During the amusement, I conveyed word to the wife of the big rain that I should go out again the next night and should expect her company appointing her to meet me at the same place as before. She returned a favorable answer. My little wife hauled me over the coals for stealing a married woman when there were enough maidens in the village that I could select. I told her that I wished to have the handsomest woman in the village for my lodge. The appointed hour arrived, and Big Raid's wife was faithful to her promise. We started off with only 17 warriors. We were gone four days and returned with three scalps. We met a war party of died warriors, six of whom outstripped us and escaped. On my return, I was again seized and had received another such flogging as the first, laid on with equal goodwill. After my dressing, I retired to my lodge where a woman approached me bearing some burden in her arms. She addressed me. Here is something will gladden your heart. He will make as great a brave as his father. His name is Black Panther. Here, look at your child. Sure enough, my little wife had presented me with a son who is at this present time, 1855, first counselor of the Crow Nation. Two nights afterward, I started on a third expedition with a party of 63 warriors, my new wife accompanying me for the third time. We took a southerly course towards the country of the Blackfeet and captured near 200 head of horses, with which we returned home by way of the fort. On arriving at the fort, I found that my services were required and that they were about to dispatch a courier after me on business of great importance. I told the commander that I must go home with my party, but that I would return to the fort with the least possible delay. Accordingly, we started on. On the road, we fell in with a small party of trappers who were under the conduct of an old schoolmate of mine, David Adams. They seemed greatly dejected, and I inquired of them the cause. Adams then related that he had been robbed of everything he possessed by some of his men confederated with a number of my Indians, and that they have sent them off in the forlorn condition in which I now saw him. I asked him to describe the appearance of the Indians who took part in robbing him. One of the party said was not an Indian but a mulatto. There was no mulatto when I left. I answered, "You must be mistaken." No, he replied, I am not. You will find him there on your return. Well, I said, get up and return to the village with me. I will sift this matter to the bottom. He declined to accompany me. They told me if I returned, he urged, that they would kill us all, and I dare not go back. Come with me, I said. If there is any killing to be done, I will have a hand in it. He at length consented to return with me on gaining the village i rode up to my father's lodge and said how is this you allow white men to be robbed in the village directly under your eyes do you wish to call down the vengeance of the great white chief upon the crows do you wish them to be made poor and miserable like the other tribes have i not often told you of the immense number of white warriors That they were like the sand of the prairie as the leaves of the forest hold my son i have nothing to do in that matter my heart was sorrowful when i heard of the crime it was high lance who committed it then i will go and kill him or be killed myself said i and away i sped to the lodge of high lance go with him go with him exclaimed my father to all my brothers and relatives around he is mad go and protect him. I advanced to High Lance, who was standing at his lodge, who, on seeing me approach, stepped in and shut his door. I dismounted and tore his door down in an instant and demanded of him what he had been doing. I remarked that his lodge was extremely well supplied with goods. High Lance said I, in an authoritative tone, restored to these men their horses without one moment's delay. I have taken no horses, said he sullenly. Send for them in an instant, said I. By this time my dog shoulders and the bravest men in the nation were surrounding me. What does our chief want? demanded they. I told them that I wanted all the goods taken out of the lodge of Highlands, for that he had assisted to steal them from a white man who was my friend. Instantly the lodge was hoisted and torn into a thousand places. And High Lance, the mulatto, and eleven white men were exposed to plain view. I then accosted the mulatto. What are you doing here, you black velvet-headed scoundrel? You come here in my absence to put the devil into the heads of the Indians, who are bad enough already? I will have your scalp torn off, you consummate villain. The poor fellow was frightened almost to death and trembled in every joint. He replied, the crows give me liberty to stay here and trap in their country and not another word i interrupted though i will hang you at any rate then turning to the eleven renegade white men i said i give you just five minutes to leave the village if you are longer in going i will order my warriors to scalp every one of you you assume to be white men and yet think no more of yourselves than to enter an indian village and set such an example to the savages whereas if they were to treat you in such a manner you would think death too light a punishment you rob your own race and forbid their return to the village under the pain of death allying allying yourselves with the worst indian in the tribe after stripping your victim, you forcibly deprive him of his few trusty followers and bid him go through these trackless wilds filled with murderous savages who, had they once come across him, would have murdered him before he reached the fort. I raided them thus soundly, but not one offered to lift his hand. The stolen, horse, the stolen horses were very quickly forthcoming, and the purlined property was readily produced. I restored it to my friend before them. Now, I said, addressing the gang, you can return to the fort with mister Adams, but if you hear but if I hear that you offer to molest him in any way, your scalps shall pay for it. Then turning to the mulatto, I said, You have instigated all this mischief, and I should only be doing my duty to put my threat into execution. And Hang you as I promised. However, you can go to the fort with these men. I shall be there about as soon as you will, and I will attend to your case then. I'll see if I cannot teach you better than to come among the crows again. Mr. Adams belonged to Captain Bonneville's company and was leader of a party of about 20 men. He had come into the crow country for the purpose of trading and trapping the mulatto had arrived previously and had brought a canadian with him the mulatto could speak the crow language tolerably well he had become acquainted with high lance who was a bad indian and had relations as bad as himself and through this clique he had obtained permission to stay and trap in the country on the arrival of mr adams the mulatto made himself very familiar with his men representing to them that they were fools to travel for hire when they could stay among the crows with him and do so much better. By these arguments he induced 11 of Mr. Adams' party to desert him, when, with the participation of High Lance and other bad Indians, they stripped him of all his goods. Mr. Adams expressed his warmest thanks to me for my interference. I told him I had only done my duty as I always had done in like cases and should continue to do as long as I remained with the crows. This business settled. I received a third sound thrashing from my new wife's husband and relatives for again making free with his wife. After the lapse of three days, I left for the fort, again taking my friend's lady. Her husband, finding that I was incorrigible, grew furious and declared he only wished to have me in his power once more. My dog soldiers said to him, You have whipped him three times, and you shall whip him no more. Neither shall you do him any further harm. Red Cherry loves him, and she does not love you, and she will always go with him. You might as well try to turn Bighorn back to its mountain sources as to attempt to separate them, unless you kill them. You would not be so cowardly as to spill the blood of the pretty red cherry because she loves our chief. If you should fight him, he will kill you, and if you should assassinate him, we would avenge his death. No, no, Big Rain must not hurt our chief, but we will buy your claim to the red cherry and give her to Red Arm for his own. You, a great chief, should despise to want a woman Loves another warrior better than you. Big Rain drooped his head on finding the dog soldiers were against him and gave way to deep reverie. He loved the red cherry as children love the delicious fruit bearing the same name. After weighing the matter well, he reluctantly acceded to the offer and consented to resign all interest and title in Mrs. Big Rain for the consideration of one war horse, 10 guns, 10 chief's coats, scarlet cloth, 10 pairs of new leggings, and the same number of moccasins. The stipulation was forthwith produced by my faithful dog soldiers, and I had the exclusive right to the Red Cherry without the fear of a drubbing every time I returned. Such acts are as common among the Rocky Mountain tribes of the mountains and prairies. My new wife was a perfection of symmetry. Few of the Caucasian race could boast of handsomer features and nothing but the rich olive color of the skin betrayed her Indian origin. Big Rain always regarded me with an evil eye after the transaction and several times attempted to induce the lady to return to him. Many warriors whose wives had played truant had cut off their noses to deprive them of their attractions. I told red cherry that if ever she should return to big raid, he would surely serve her so. She never manifested any disposition to leave me, and my engagement to the American fur company enabled me to dress my wives better than any other woman in the whole nation. It was now early spring, and I started for the fort. Before I left, I told the crows what time I wished them to follow me with their peltry. On my arrival, I was informed that a Mr. Johnson Gardner had bought quite a large lot of goods, which he had taken to his camp 18 miles down the river. The morning after my arrival, three men were dispatched from the fort to acquaint him that I had come. I had 200 warriors with me, and on the night of our arrival, we formed a camp and turned out the horses, not apprehending any danger. Early in the morning, one of my followers went out to fetch up the horses when he found them all missing and the trail visible on which they had been taken away. The alarm was instantly given, and I ran to the top of the hill to take a general survey. I saw two objects on the ice which appeared to me to be men and this excited my apprehensions that they were two of the men dispatched from the fort as they lay in the direction which they had taken. I collected my warriors instantly for the pursuit. Placing all our women and children in the fort, I ordered some of the white men down on the ice to bring in the supposed bodies. Alas, my suspicions proved too true. all three men had been butchered and when we rode up to their bodies were scarcely cold the eyes of the warriors flashed and without delaying a moment on we swept in pursuit of revenge we traveled about thirty miles each man leading his war horse and our saddle horses were beginning to tire and we saw nothing of the enemy darkness would close over us we feared before we could overtake them we then mounted our war horses which were as swift as the wind and leaving the saddle horses behind on we went faster than ever darkness was already upon us when we came in sight of a large fire in the distance now boys we have them cried i we rode on until we neared the camp of the enemy as we supposed and then I examined their position previous to the onset. Just as I was about to give the order to charge, I heard a voice from the camp saying, throw them in, damn them, throw them in. I then saluted the camp, shouting at the top of my voice, hello to camp. Don't shoot boys, we are crows. I am Jim Beckworth. I then rode up with my whole party and found that they had taken two prisoners from the very party we were in. Garrot stood off at a safe distance and demanded the two Indians. You cannot have them until you bring me my horses, said Gardiner. Then we will have the tops of your heads, threatened the old rascal. Yes, we would have the tops of their heads, but come and take them if you can. They rode off, taking every horse that Gardiner possessed and if he had not been on the alert, they would have taken a few scalps as well. These were the two prisoners that were in question when we rode up. They had bound them with trap trains and were in the act of throwing them into a tremendous log fire that was burning in the camp. They opened the logs on the top of the fire and swinging the two victims into the flames, rolled back the burning logs. There was a terrible struggle for a moment, and then all was still. A blue flame towered high above the pile and quickly subsided. My Indians begged the privilege of scalping them before they were burned, but Gardner told them he wished to burn them up clean. You are going after their companions, he said, and you can get plenty more scalps. Yes, they replied, we will get plenty and bring your horses back besides." I really felt proud of my warriors, and seeing them animated with so true a spirit. We breathed our horses for a few minutes, for they were in a perfect foam, and then started after them again in hot pursuit. By next boarding, we came within two gunshots distance of the enemy without being perceived, as a roll in the prairie hid us from their view. We rested for a few moments to refresh our horses, and prepared them for charge we heard a continuing firing as if kept up by the enemy and then a terrific explosion which made the earth tremble yells of the savages succeeded to this and i then learned that there had been a battle between the indians and traders and that the, and that the whole stock of the traders powder had exploded and now thought i is the time to charge and i gave the word to my impatient warriors we were among them like a thunderbolt even before they had time to mount their horses for they had not yet recovered from the fright of the explosion we cut down one hundred and seventy-two of them before they had time to fire twenty shots the whole force of the enemy amounted to four hundred men and those who remained unhurt scattered in all directions we did not pursue them as our horses were so badly jaded Pine Leaf, who charged gallantly by my side, was wounded with a bullet, which broke her left arm just below the elbow. Placing her wounded arm in her bosom, she grew more desperate than ever, and three of the enemy met their death from the point of a lance after she received her wound. Becoming faint from loss of blood, she was constrained to retire. We had twelve other wounded. We recovered all our horses and recaptured those belonging to Gardner, beside a great number in the possession of the enemy. For spoils, we gathered near 200 scalps and a vast amount of firearms and other equipments. After the signal victory, we returned to Gardner's camp, reaching there the same evening. Before leaving, however, we took three blackened and disfigured bodies, the remains of the trappers who had so heroically defended themselves, and who, to all appearances, had blown themselves up rather than fallen to the hands of the enemy. The supposition was warranted by the appearance of the ground. Evidently, the savages had set fire to the grass all around, thinking to burn them out, but it had not reached them. I surmised that the Indians had charged on them in a body and when near to the trappers had been scattered with the ignition of three kegs of powder in the possession of the trappers for some of the carcasses of the indians were barely scorched our reception at the camp of gardner was enthusiastic beckworth and his brave warriors forever rent the air Note The heroine's arm was set in good style by Dr. Walton at Gardner's camp, and in a few weeks it was sound again. The Indians have no bone setters. When their bones get broken, they tie them up as well as possible and trust in Providence for the result. Rent the air in acclamations. They joined us and went on to the fort with us. When we came in sight of the place, we formed all in line and displayed our scalps on the ends of sticks and discharged our guns and sung at the top of our voices. This brought every person out of the fort to look at us. We then opened our column, and I requested Gardner to drive all the horses with full speed to the fort. Just before we reached there, we spurred our horses on to the front and encircled the fort several times still displaying our scalps and singing the scalp dance burden louder and louder while all the occupants of the post joined in there were hilarious times round the fort that night we had sent word to the village to summon the crows to the trading post to help us mourn for the three white men who had recently been killed on the ice and who were yet unburied i admitted to mention In proper places, that Glass's body was found near the fort, probably on his retreat after he had discovered the Indians. The whole village accordingly started to join us while I and my party went out to meet them and to acquaint them with our success. In consideration of my distinguished service, I was elevated to second consular of the nation. We met them about a day's ride from the fort and had a great celebration over the communication of our victory. We returned together and buried the three men amid the most terrible scenes that I have ever witnessed. The crying was truly appalling. The three men were well-known and highly esteemed by the crows. When their bodies were lowered to their last resting place, numberless fingers were voluntarily cut off and thrown into the graves. Hair and trinkets of every description were also contributed, and the graves were finally filled up. I then set the men to work in building boats to carry our peltry down to Fort Union at the mouth of the Yellowstone. Whither I intended going as soon as the river was free from ice. When completed, I put on board 700 packs of buffalo robes, 10 robes in each pack, and forty-five packs of beaver. I forwarded orders for such goods as were wanted, and also word for another clerk in the place of poor Rose, who had lost his life in the service of the company. End of chapter seventeen.